are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. What's that over there? Is that a swamp full of sausages battered with cornmeal? No! Those are the sponsor of this episode of Rootbound, Cattails! Cattails! They're nature's corn dogs! Hi, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rootbound. I'm the host of the show, and my name is Steve. And Rootbound is the podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. And each week, I invite a guest who shares with us all about a plant that means something to them. And then I share with a guest about a plant that means something to me. And through this process, we can all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. Trees are pretty cool, right? <laughs> I mean, I guess that's kind of obvious, especially if you listen to this show, but. Um, both of the plants we're going to talk about on this episode are trees, and so I was thinking about trees, and I had the thought of, do all trees come from a common ancestor, is, is, or is there some kind of convergent evolution that causes trees to happen? Uh, if you remember, convergent evolution is where you have different creatures that kind of evolved to have the same characteristics separately from each other. Crabs is a good example. You can look it up. Uh, various times crabs have evolved. But I was wondering about that about trees, and so I was doing some research. I found a really great article on a blog called Eukaryote Rights, written by Georgia Ray. And the, the blog is called There's No Such Thing as a Tree, parenthetically, phylogenetically. And it's a very well-written, in-depth article that basically explains that uh, trees do not have a common ancestor at all. Like, there is no link to what you know, you can see two trees that they are trees, but they have like their common ancestor is like way, 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 way back before trees were even a thing. And sometimes things that aren't trees become trees, and sometimes things that are trees uh, turn not into trees anymore. Uh, it's very complicated and very interesting. And that also led me to uh, a really clear example of this and a really great bit of vocabulary a term that I just learned, which is called insular woodiness. <laughs> There's an article published in the Proceedings of the National Academies of Sciences that is called The Evolution of Insular Woodiness. And this is describing how on islands, plants tend to evolve into trees and, to, and, and tend to evolve into having wood. And um, it's a pretty interesting phenomenon, and they're not 100% sure why it is, but uh, the, the biggest example is the Canary Islands. Just the Canary Islands has 33 independent evolutions of woodiness, uh, which I found pretty amazing. And they're not quite sure why it happens, as I said, but uh, some of the examples are competition for sunlight, requiring you to grow tall, and when you're on an island, you can't really grow out that far, so the competition is up to get more sun. Also saying that um, the less water um, on an island... Uh, woodiness tends to be better for drought conditions. And some other alternatives that they mention in this article is that it's maybe an indirect result of increased lifespan because of favorable conditions, and also that islands tend to have a lack of large native herbivores, which can maybe prevent that kind of evolution from happening. So very interesting insular woodiness. Um, but yeah, trees, trees aren't like related to each other. In fact, one thing that uh, was mentioned in that previous article, I mentioned the uh, 
the article saying trees are not really a thing, is uh, this writer mentioned that trees are a strategy, that that trees are a strategy that various plants have chosen to survive. And so I thought that was a really interesting way to put it. So that's enough babbling about trees in general. Let's talk about two trees specifically. I speak for the trees. Let them grow. Let them grow. But nobody listens too much, don't you know? I speak for the trees. And I'll yell and I'll shout for the fine things on earth that are on their way out. Hi, C. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Rootbound. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on. Wonderful. Did you have a plant to share with us today? I actually do. It's one of my favorite plants um, slash trees in the whole world. Um, it's called the American basswood linden or Tilia americana. Wonderful. I, I, I know what this tree looks like. There used to be one in my neighbor's yard. And I know I have like some inklings of some really interesting details about it, but I really don't. It's actually a tree I don't know very much about. So I'm happy to learn about the basswood linden. I has, it has a bunch of names. Um, it does. Yeah. It, it is. It's like um, the basswood linden tree, the linden tree, the lime tree, the bee tree. There are so many different names um, and different reasons why. Um, yeah. So let's... Well, maybe we'll get into those later. But first, why did you choose this tree? Why is it meaningful to you? So um, I, I grew up in the Bronx and basically all around us that we have available are a lot of street trees um, because mm. of concrete sidewalks. So I grew up being around American basswood linden trees without even realizing what they were. But especially during spring and early summer, I would just pass these trees walking down my block and it would smell so intensely beautiful mm. um very sweet and they'd always have like these very beautiful like very delicate looking white flowers and as i got older and as i got really into environmental education and learning about the trees around me um, i realized that every other tree within a five mile radius of where i was living was a, a linden tree so very that's why cool. i chose it yeah very cool um, yeah, so that's really interesting. I, I think there's something interesting about when you start to realize the plants around you. I, I've talked about this a lot of episodes about how like humans, most humans, well, I don't know, humans in certain cultures tend to have plants just fall into the background and we don't necessarily like recognize them. And then all of a sudden, at least for me, it's like, oh, wait, ah, oh, that's a, that's, that's a, a tree. And yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, um, it's definitely been a really awesome opportunity just to be connected to where I've grown up in a different way and just also find something new to get excited about when I do come home. I'm like, oh, what's this tree? What's that tree? So, yeah. Very cool. Well, yeah, let's talk about some fun facts and dozen details. Maybe I, I love the name stuff. So maybe let's start with, with some of the stuff you know about the names. Yeah, so um, Tilia Americana is um, the botanist name for it. Um, but American best with linden or lime tree. It's, it's actually not associated with limes at all. Um, but North or rather like Eastern European um, cultures, um, they have always called it the lime tree. And um, they've used the word Tilia to describe like tea. So they use the linden flowers um, very traditionally as a tea. So when you look up teas, especially mm. if you're looking at old um, 
like medicinal um, books and such like that, like a lot of it would be like tilia and then it would be like the type of um, plant it is. So that's kind of where I learned about the basis of like that name. Um, Tilia cordata would be also like the Eastern European Uh, or the original name of it. I was just about to ask you, it's like, there is a European linden too, right? And I guess that, that, that answers that. Yeah, I, I used to live in Switzerland, and now that you just had this memory to me, a very common tea sold in Switzerland, Switzerland is linden bluten tea, which means linden blossom tea. Mm. And I just, I just, yeah, that just came into my brain when you said tea. Mm. I didn't know you could yeah. make tea from it. Yes, and it's really delicious. And there's also really amazing medicinal properties for... Um, drinking the linden tea and for anxiety, depression, sleep, heart conditions, fever, Mm. like there's so many, especially like um, just like cognitive regulation, folks who have like uh, ADHD, they drink that and it's like over a long period of time, it's supposed to really help the nervous system. So very cool. cool. And it is the flowers specifically, like you dry the flowers, I guess. Mm -hmm. I I got to keep my eye out next year for some, some linen. I think I know where there are some in my neighborhood and try try that. Cause that sounds so cool. Yeah. And you can even eat the flowers right off the tree, like raw. They're so delicious and very high in nectar. Um, and yeah, it's one of my favorite snacks along mm. my walks. Yeah. That's probably why it's called a bee tree, I guess, the high in nectar, or maybe there's some other reason. Oh, no, that's exactly the reason. So um, a lot of people have associated it um, as the bee tree is because uh, between spring and summer, the bees are out of hibernation, they're, they're moving around, they're trying to make food, and a lot of them will gravitate to the linden trees and they get a high volume of nectar. And yeah, it's like a really important tree to the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. All right. What 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 else? We we talked about tilia, uh, bee tree. I, I don't know if the word linden has any roots that you're aware of where that came from. I I, I think I feel, I feel like that's a German word, but I don't know if you have anything about that. And then the other one is basswood, which I have no idea about why. I know basswood is because of bast, and the bast is like the phloem uh, of the tree, like the vascular mm. system of the tree. And to bast, especially like indigenous communities in North America, they would use that part of the tree to create like fibers. Um, they would soak the the bark, and um, they would basically create fibers, um, mats, um, basketry. There's also like you can make wind instruments with it. So there's there's so many different things that you can do with it. And I think that's where the basswood part came from. Interesting. I was expecting some story about fish. Because <laughs> there's, there's another, you know, um, uh, service berry is also called shad bush. Because it, it, it would, when the shad were running is when it would bloom. And uh, and so I that, I had my mind, but yeah, I guess completely different, not fish related. A more a word I didn't know. Bast. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it is. It's I now I'm associating it with bass. Now all I'm thinking about <laughs> is bass. Um, and I know that linden is a Swedish word. That oh, okay. mm-hmm. yeah. So I don't actually know the origination of the whole thing put together, but that's kind of where where I focus on the like cool nerdy things you can do with a tree. So yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, what, what else we got? What other fun facts and dazzling details we have about the, the basswood? What do you, what do you prefer to call it by the way? 
I call it Linden, Linden okay. tree. It's like to say the whole thing, like uh -huh. ABL, we can say that too. We can create an <laughs> acronym for it, the ABL tree. Yeah. Um, but Linden tree, we can totally cool. go with. Cool. Yeah. So, okay. uh, oh, sorry. Please go, please. I was saying, let's go <laughs> okay. on with the fun facts. Oh, sweet. Okay. So the cool thing about the, the tree structure itself is that it's, it's a deciduous tree and it can grow in hardiness zones from three to eight in highly acidic soil. So it's mm. pretty resilient. And I, I really understand why it's like a city street tree. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's a really cool fact about them. And they grow, they can, they originated in parts of Southeast Asia and Eastern Euro Europe, but they mm. also can grow um, all around North America, um, from New Brunswick all the way down to the Ozarks and the Appalachian area. But so, there is a native, like Tilia americana is a native species, right? It's a different species right, uh, than the European Asian one, right? Yeah. So uh, Tilia cordata is the original, apparently. Uh, like it's like I the see. original species. Mm -hmm. And there are 30 different cultivars of that species mm -hmm. that have basically just they kind of they progressed by themselves it wasn't there are some small like groups of people throughout time who have genetically like intertwined them to create like some of the cultivars we have mm -hmm. but they've they have a really good capability of like just being able to say like hey you're you're a linden tree no mm -hmm. and you're a linden tree let's let's cross pollinate yeah, I, I'm always so fascinated in, and my my plant that I'm going to talk about has a little bit of this too, of those those genuses of plants that cross continents, and you know what that implies for like various moments in various supercontinents, which there's been many, and how that really ended up. So you have like you know I you know a linden tree that originated in Asia, but the, a very similar tree is all the way over here in this continent, and. And really what that what that uh, story is, how that tended to happen is super fascinating to me. Yeah, likewise. I, I'm definitely interested in how they went all the way from Southeast Asia to here and just kind of like adapted the ability to like deal with like highly acidic soil. When you think about in parts of Southeast Asia, they actually use it a lot for just making materials and fibers and here we're not really using them mm. any lately, um, but they continue to just progress in their genetics and become more resilient, even though we're not like really training them. But I mm -hmm. do know of like the technique coppicing. I do know mm. a lot of log loggers and a lot of woodworkers, they would just grow these trees and coppice them just yeah, to explain. make I, more I, wood. I, I, I know a little bit what that means, but maybe you can explain that for the audience, what coppicing is, because it's a pretty cool idea. Yeah. So um, just a little background of the linden tree. At the base of the tree, there are shoots because the root system is so heavily like guarded. They're constantly trying to photosynthesize. They're trying to create a barrier of protection for themselves. And a lot of other trees do this, too where they send up roots and shoots from the base of the tree just as a protection measure and to extend their lineage. And what people do in, in terms of coppicing, they'll cut that new growth 
and they'll basically inoculate it in a way to promote the root growth and then replant that and create a whole new tree, which will genetically be the same of the same mother tree Mm -hmm. per se. And it's like a quick way from my understanding to get more wood material, right? It makes, yeah, it's like a, yeah, where, where single trees, you know, you, you don't have as much, especially if you don't need like big trees, right? You can get like lots of smaller diameter wood, which I guess if you're making fiber, that's totally fine. You're not looking to like make something with a really large log. Exactly, exactly. And I also know some friends who run a um, edible food forest and nursery that um, perform a lot of coppicing techniques to expand like the resiliency of some plants that have like disease, especially like thinking about like the native chestnut. And you're thinking about Mm. wanting to prolong, like you have one chestnut bush that's like doing really, really well. Well, they'll coppice the base of that or they'll coppice like the new growth and prolong um, that lineage. Mm. So there's more like environmental resiliency. So there's different techniques in in using coppicing that um, are just beside, you know, making more wood, uh, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. that can benefit like the environment. So, yeah. Very, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, Also, another fact about them is that within their xylem and phloem, they have their cambium and you can actually eat the cambium. You can process it. Yes. So I've never tried this, but I have, when I was doing some of my research, a lot of indigenous communities in North America would also, they would try to use every part of this Mm -hmm. tree and they would grind, they would dry and grind the cambium into a flour and make bread. And they would also make it into soups. Mm -hmm. So cool. That is, I, I'm going to look that up. That sounds so fascinating. Yeah, if if you try it before me, I'm okay. I don't want to cut down a whole linden tree to get sure. to the cambium. But if I see one on the side of the road that's been chopped up, I will. If it's that also might be enough, the, a good spot for like coppicing or a place where there's a lot of maybe new growth, but it's not going to outcompete the main tree or something like that. You could probably do that in a fairly sustainable way mm-hmm. if you found the right circumstance. Oh, yeah. I should have known sure. that when my neighbor cut down his linden tree. I should have been like, hey, give me that cambium before you go. Because there was one like right on my fence line, but uh, wow. my neighbor cut it down, unfortunately. Oh, well, so sad. And yeah. also, yes, for sure, next time, just say, hey, give me some of that cambium. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I really need to know. Um, what From what I've read online, it, it has a very like grainy, earthy taste. That's all I know. Sure. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I just I just know that with any type of flavoring, like bread would taste good and it would be even more gratifying to be like, this is a linden tree. So I'm definitely on the hunt for that. I'll let you know. Um, no, I've, I've become aware, I'm wondering if you're getting to this next, I've become aware of a very fascinating use for, I guess, the fruits that I've known a few people who've done, and I, but, but you might have no more information about this than me. Yeah, so the fruits, I know that some people have been, have made them into like a corn um, meal type of situation. They're also mucilaginous. Mm. So you can actually eat them like pretty raw and they're supposed to be good for your gut biome. Mm. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I, I know people either dry the seeds and then grind that and make it into like some sort of powder. 
Um, and they mix it into smoothies, they mix it in um, to breads, to soups. Um, but I do know that they are edible. And that that's basically where my, my knowledge for the seeds go. Okay, so then the dazzling detail that I've found, and I have to, I'm pretty sure this is a lending tree, so audience, if I'm wrong about this, but there's apparently a way to process, maybe it's the seed, not the fruit, into a chocolate substitute. Oh, that makes yeah, a lot of sense. There's like a way you roast the seeds. I don't know. I, I, I know actually Black Forager on Instagram has done that one year, if you know her. And then yeah. also a guest on my podcast um, uh, a few weeks ago, I just saw on her Instagram that she had tried it. And I need to actually go and check with her and see how it turned out. But apparently it's really good. And, you know, it's it's one of those things that's like we have a we have a source of chocolate in our backyards where you don't have to, like, you know, import a, uh, uh, you know, a tropical fruit that has, you know, lots of potential issues with production depending on where it's coming from. So I don't know. It, you know, it sounds like it could be a lot of work, but still sounds super fascinating. That actually, that it makes a lot of sense because considering the family that they're in, they're in, they're within the Malvaceae family, not even mm. the Tiliaceae family. So they're within the same family as cacao. So, Whoa. yeah. Whoa. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> that's fascinating. And that makes more sense now that you say they're from Southeast Asia and that's not where chocolate from, but like there's more tropical tree roots, you know, that they're coming from a tropic area originally that that they that is really interesting wow what a what a fascinating tree yeah that man i really love this tree i'm definitely going to try that now i'm very very inspired yeah i'll <laughs> look it up and leave links in the show notes to what i found about it because it does sound super fascinating um and it's kind of like one of those things that was kind of swirling around the internet a little bit of this use for it that i think is not not very well known yeah and thank you so much for that i'm craving chocolate now and anything <laughs> now i instead of putting it into a bread and soup i'm going probably to make cookies or like <laughs> yeah that, that would be really great um yeah so now now all i'm thinking about is chocolate uh -huh, but i should sure definitely <laughs> no no you're good you're good <laughs> I definitely want to go into the leaf structure and just the tree structure in general. We can just like go out a little bit. Yeah. And um, so they're really cool. I, if, if you've ever seen a linden tree, it kind of looks when it's full grown, it's a really beautiful shade tree. And it's very, it, it's kind of like a crown. It, it, it's very, very tall. It grows up to about like 65 to 80 feet tall. Mm. And really 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 gorgeous um there are some that grow to about like 40 feet wide from 20 to 40 feet some varieties some cultivars mostly in east europe they have mm -hmm. that um but here we we have like the smaller version like the small leaf linden um that that still has that really beautiful like crown structure and as well as their leaf it's itself. If you look closely at the leaves on the underside is a very like slick, light green, like almost neon color, especially to the new growth. And on the top, it's like very leathery, dark green, and it almost looks heart shaped. But if you try, if you try to like fold it in half, it'll never be a heart. And I've tried that many, many times. It's not symmetrical. It's exactly. It's asymmetrical. And it's actually something that's called oblique chordate. And oblique comes from the word lopsided. And chordate mm -hmm. means heart shaped. So uh, that's a fun fact. And they're serrated. Yeah. Okay. Really that, thank you for that. Because one, I haven't done as well on this show 
of doing this that I wanted to. But one of the re- things I want to do with the show is learn more of that like leaf description terminology. And it's only come up a few times. But now I think, um, uh, what do you say, ob- oblate? Oblique. Oblique, yes. Oblique and chordate. Those are my head now. Oblique is lopsided. Chordate is heart-shaped. I got it. So so the, the leaf of a uh, of a red bud is chordate. Exactly. Nice. Nice. I got mm-hmm. it. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great reference, too, because their their leaf structure is so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I love red buds. And um, around the edges of the leaves are serrated. So serrated like a knife. So very, mm-hmm. very different than a red bud. Red bud is smooth. Mm-hmm. So for the linden tree, it'd be serrated. So, yeah. Cool. And, cool. yeah. And... So there's something also really cool about their leaf structure and also from flower to seed to being planted or like somehow windblown. Um, They they do have a modified leaf structure that creates something called bracts. And bracts are something similar to what you would see in a maple or an ash tree. Um, A maple tree would have basically like a like a helicopter like the way mm-hmm. that they like wind blow but the seed itself is attached to that that portion of the leaf where just like or rather the seed coat that takes it and takes mm-hmm. it with the wind to be planted somewhere else but this this specific plant they have bracts so it's a leaf extension that is separate from the seeds and the flowers itself so it yes, almost now looks I, like a feather. Now yes, now I yeah. know what you're talking about. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. yeah. So it's still it's still to help with wind dispersal, but but a different method, I guess, than the maples. Yeah, and mm. there are like theories as to why the linden tree developed the brack as opposed to having the seed coat and everything mm. all in one package is because there are certain nocturnal pollinators that need a guide to the flowers once the bees are asleep and all the other daytime pollinators. And since it has like this specific tone uh, of color or tinge of color, it's like a light greenish to like almost a, a brown that at night will kind of use some illumination to guide those nocturnal pollinators to get that nectar and pollinate those flowers super cool cool. that is very cool yeah that lighter color that it is is probably better at reflecting the moonlight or other kinds of like infrared stuff at night yeah very very fascinating yeah cool it it really is (laughs) um what else what other fun facts and dazzling details you have hmm okay so one thing that I, I've actually been talking to some friends about linden trees because we're all mm-hmm. plant nerds and we're, we're loving it. So there are some people that say that their germination rate is actually not that high and that you're better off planting or coppicing and planting mm-hmm. than um, you have a better rate of growth than it actually being windblown and mm-hmm. planting somewhere. And I think it has a lot to do with the weight of the seed and the fact that the bract is, the seed coat is it's just not attached and it's just like a bract that's bringing it. Mm-hmm. It's about 30% of ge- germination per tree. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. actually pretty low. And um, 
Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that because I see them everywhere, especially in mm-hmm. um, old growth forests. They're just like mm. popping up here and there. So that, that's pretty interesting to think about. They do produce a lot of seeds, though, too, right? When you see one that's full of full of the little fruits, it's it's a lot. Um, I mean, maybe not more than any other tree, but it's still a lot. I don't know, maybe because they're smaller than they're they're pretty small for a for a tree seed, I guess. Maybe mm-hmm. they yeah, they yeah. they are, but they're like really abundant. So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm in that dilemma like thought where I'm like, wait, thirty percent. But I can understand also, you know, what they're competing against potentially with these other like high volume like seed throwers as like a maple tree, which has hundreds and hundreds like mm-hmm. per gust of wind or thinking about the way an ash tree could pollinate or not pollinate, but like mm-hmm. just wind blow their seeds, you know, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to, to figure that out. I'm, I'm going to study the phenology of one of these linden trees near my house and just see what happens. Hey, so you, you have this, this new farm you're working on. Do you have any <laughs> linden trees over there? actually do i have maybe i've identified like five or six of them and there's one that i'm thinking is a sapling but it since a lot of the leaves have fallen off for the Mm. season it's really really hard to tell um and i'm just i'm basically just waiting to see if that that's like my fifth one but yeah there there are some that i'm thinking maybe between 40 and 50 years old because Mm. the farm that i'm on is has been a farm since the 1890s oh wow yeah so lots of lots of potential there and there's a lot of really beautiful like elder sycamore trees elder sweet maple elder birch lineages yeah lots of silver birch really really cool hawthorns as well we have an abundance Mm. of hawthorns that i'm really excited about as well sweet will be the memory of the lovely day in may underneath the linden tree underneath the linden tree well uh thank you for sharing about the linden american linden basswood american basswood linden tree abl with me <laughs> ABL. Uh, do you mind if i share a plan with you yes i don't mind at all um please awesome. do okay so i also picked a tree and th- and this is one that i i didn't really know much about to the day but i'm i'm in texas right now visiting family um and in central texas and actually it's a, it's a very widespread tree which i didn't necessarily realize um, but there's a lot around here, and it's one that captivated my imagination because it's it's different from what I'm used to. And so the, the, it's an oak tree, but it's the live oak tree. I don't know how familiar you are with live oaks. Mm, there's not. Familiar. I don't think they're up. I don't think they're up. I think Virginia, and actually, I think it's su- further south than where I live is where they kind of mm-hmm. stop. But then they fill kind of the whole south. The live oak tree is is even more fascinating than I even thought. But the main thing, and why it's called the live oak, at first I didn't know why it's called a live oak. It's kind of a weird word because, like, they're all live. But it's because it's an evergreen oak. Oh. And so the leaves are, oh, in the winter, they still look like they're live, whereas the, you know, other oaks lose their leaves, which is pretty cool. That's pretty amazing. 
Yeah. Um, they have very small leaves, too. They're oak. Their leaves don't look like the oak leaves, like the classic oak leaf that we think about. They're small and pretty oval. They don't really have much of the lobing that you think about when you see that. But, you know, I think the main... And what I've, which I realize now is, especially this area of Texas and actually down into Mexico, when you talk about Southeast Asia being where the linden tree is from, well, Mexico and into this part of Texas, that is where oak originated, the, the, the genus of oak. And now oak is all around the world, but the, the most species of oak, um, there's like 500 oak species and like 160 of them are from this area, which is really wow. interesting. And, and the forms they take are very different from like, you know, I think the oaks in my forest in Virginia are similar to what you have in, in New York. It's like white oaks, red oaks, these tall things with big leaves. But they take up a lot of different forms here. And the live oak is a pretty particularly special one. Um it's it's very cool. It, they get very big. Let me actually pull up my notes here. They get very big, but they don't get very tall. They go quite wide, which is very interesting. Um, they're pretty slow-growing trees, but they can be very long-lived, which I'll mention a little bit later. Um, but let's talk about some names first. Um, so live oak is the common name, but there's a number of trees that can be called live oak, and, and basically that refers to basically any... Uh, North American oak that is evergreen. Okay. However, there is one predominant species, which is the one I'm talking about today, which is Quercus virginiana, which is virginiana normally just means, basically means from the new world. It, it was the first one people spotted, right? So it does grow in Virginia, but it grows all the way into, you know, all the way through the South. It's in Louisiana a lot. It's in Texas. Um, so that's the one I'm talking about. Uh, it, it grows very big. Uh, it, it, is quite old. Um, the one thing I found that's super interesting about it, there's a number of things, but one thing that really stood out to me is that it has, it, it's arguably the strongest, densest wood that grows in this continent. Wow. And, that's and, pretty incredible. And, <laughs> and by pretty far, like I, I pulled up this, which I'll put a link in the show notes. I found this table that was put up by the American, you know, like the, the national forestry service that was like a list of, of native trees in there specific gravity which that's a that is a measure of density uh right mm -hmm. this so it's it's the ratio of the density of the tree to water so the closer you are to one the denser the tree is because uh you know that one if it was one that means it's as as dense as water there are some trees uh in the world which i looked up that have a higher than one specific gravity which means they'll actually sink they won't float uh, um but but uh live oak has a specific gravity of 0.88 and the next highest oak the next hardest oak is is around 0.6 something so it's 27 percent uh more dense than the next densest oak tree and there's only two other trees in uh in this continent that have uh uh, the specific gravity in the 80s and one I didn't know this one is Osage Orange is, is very is actually pretty close it's 0.85 and then there's um, Mesquite is also very hard at I think 0.82 um, I did look up because we we're talking about this I did look up basswood and it is 0.37 so quite a bit softer uh, than which makes sense if you're getting fibers out of it right it's it's yeah. not a not a, it's not a, it's not a a lumber species for sure. Oh, oh definitely. Very yeah. different ends of the spectrum, but that's pretty amazing. And that's so, it's so amazing to just think how dense that those trees could be and how resilient they've been over time. Yeah. And speaking of resiliency, a lot of them grow on the coast and they can withstand hurricanes 
very, very well. And one is because they don't get very high, but also with that strength of the wood. Um, they're also incredibly rot resistant. And that leads to one of their primary uses historically was uses in shipbuilding. But it's kind of interesting because they don't get very tall. You can't really get a plank out of them. But apparently what they would do is the branches stretch out very far and the branches have this natural curve to them. And so you could harvest a branch and basically use it, cut it into a plank that already has a curve in it to put into the bow of a boat, of a ship, which is super fat, right? Like you don't have to like worry about trying to bend wood or whatever. It's like already there like that. Um, And so I think that's also one reason why... Uh, large examples are relatively rare because in in that era of wooden shipbuilding, there was a lot cut down for that purpose. Yeah. Um, All right. So let's get into, um, let's see, make sure I have that. Okay. The most fun fact I think I have here, and there's a few things about this, is when I was Googling Live Oak, I, I came across something that is called the Live Oak Society. Wow. And, and this is a society, it's based out of the University of uh, Louisiana, um, and it's part of part of their, like, um, agricultural program, I guess. But the guy who invented it, this guy whose name was Dr. Louis Stevens, he was the first president of Southwestern Louisiana Institute, which is now the University of Louisiana. Um, he read this poem by uh, Walt Whitman that was called... I saw in Louisiana a live oak growing. And he was so moved by the poem that he's like, we should really appreciate these trees more. So he had this idea to create the Live Oak Society. And in the Live Oak Society, by the bylaws, there is only one human member who is the chairman. And their job is to make the list of all the live oaks that are the actual members of the society. And... Uh, you can become a member of the Live Oak Society if you're a live oak with a girth larger than eight feet. Wow. Eight yeah, feet? Yeah, eight feet diameter. Eight feet in diameter. <laughs> and and uh, anybody who has, you know, who knows of a tree like that can submit it to the Live Oak Society where actually now the now the chairwoman uh, is, I, I actually, I'm sorry, I forgot to write down her name, but she's been the, the chair for, for a, quite a while now will officially register the oak, give it a number. And so now there's over 10,000 uh, oaks listed in the, the Live Oak Society. And you get to be the president of the Live Oak Society if you're the biggest tree on the list currently. Now, there's a number of trees that have over time, you know, uh, fallen down or died in various ways. So currently the, the oldest tree or the largest tree, the president of the Live Oak Society is called the Seven Sisters Oak, which as of 2016 had a girth of 39.6 feet in diameter. That is insanely, like, I love that. Good for that oak. Long live the oak. Let's save the oaks. (laughs) Yeah, so the president, um, that's a great president. I I, I just love a club that's just all trees. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's such a cool idea. and then the other piece uh, that I wanted to mention is I wish I was trying to find here in Texas, like, are there any members of the society near me? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there was one uh, in the town I'm in, but it, it, it fell down a number of years ago. But there's there's one in a place called Rio Frio, which is um, which is per- perhaps the th- second or third largest um, live oak in Texas. But then my, I was talking to my grandpa about this and he said, oh, yeah, there's this one in Rockport, which we see all the time, which is known as very originally the big tree um 
And I, I don't have its girth written down. It's also known as the Goose Island Oak because it's, um, I think, on Goose Island. And uh, it's pretty unique because it's a really big one. It, it has, you know, I think it's, uh, it was actually one of the founding members of the Live Oak Society. It's number 16 from the 1940s when they first made the list. Um, and it's pretty interesting that it's, it's one of the, it's a very big live oak, but it's on the coast. And normally the ones on the coast are not as big just because of weather stuff. But this, they, this one had some interesting facts about it that it's estimated that this tree has withstood 40 to 50 massive hurricanes in its life and is still there. Um, there is some estimates, and they're not sure because no one's taken a core sample, and they probably shouldn't. But the estimates for the age of the big tree in Rockport, Texas, is between 1,000 and 2,000 years old. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That... What an elder must know yeah. so much. I know. Can you, I mean, sometimes I think about trees like that and like, I wish you could like interview it about what, <laughs> what it has seen and what it has done, you know, because it's, uh, yeah. And I've seen pictures of it and it's, you know, they're really interesting trees because yeah, they're very thick trunks, but the trunks are not that tall, but then their, their crown can be like a hundred feet wide. Right. So wow. they're just really amazing trees. And so I get why someone decided they needed to make a society for them. But I think, you know, if anyone out there has got the, the time and the, the fortitude, I think we need more societies that just have trees in them. Yes. Let's yeah. make one for the Linden as well. Yeah, the Basswood Society. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let me just double check my notes. Yeah, I think that's it. That's that's it. The Live Oak Society. I'll put links in the show notes. Um, very cool. But yeah, really interesting tree. It's not the kind of oak that we all imagine, but it's also, for me, a little bit of the the eye-opener to oaks are way more than what we kind of know in the eastern forest and, the, and even in Europe, like the European oaks. They all have this kind of a similar way to the white oak and red oaks we know, but oak is very broad. And in this part of Texas, there's so many oaks that when you first see them, you wouldn't notice it's oak. Actually, one last little anecdote, Mike, and I don't know the exact place for this. I'll look it up and put it in the show notes. But my grandpa was telling me that at one point he was in New Mexico and someone told him he was one of, in one of the largest oak forests in the world. But it's just a scrubland and nothing is higher than your knee. But it's a kind of oak that is just like a shrub. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so... So know, it's the, basically... The, the, oh, so, it's, so it's basically like a ground cover... Yeah, yeah, it's it's like, you know, places where you have, like, scrubland, you know, um, brush and, and shrubs. Uh, but, yeah, oak takes many, many forms, and I think really the only... I, I meant to confirm this, but I think the main thing that makes it an oak, because even the leaves can be very different, right? That's one thing. I always thought, oh, an oak leaf, but actually near where I live, we have a lot of willow oak, which those don't look like any oak leaves at all, right? But it's the acorn. That's what makes the oak. The acorns are the are the identifier. So if you see something with an acorn, but some of the acorns can be pretty tiny too, I guess, in some of these special oak uh, species. So just a very fascinating genus. And uh, yeah, the live oak is super cool. Yeah, that actually just made me think of really quick, that just made me think of the angel oak in St. John's Island in Charleston, South Carolina. As you were saying this, I believe I visited that tree and it was the widest tree I've ever seen in my life. And the acorns were actually not like short and stubby or like fat and stubby, like the anything like a white oak or um, a red oak in the Northeast. It was actually pretty smooth and the cap was non-existent as you would think on a traditional acorn. Interesting. I'm mm -hmm. just trying to Google this now to just confirm. It sounds like a live oak to me, 
but mm-hmm. my my quick Google results are not finding it. So I'll put that in the show notes too. But that that's okay. that sounds like the description of a live oak, and it's in the right area of of uh, the world to be that kind of oak tree. Yeah. Very cool. Well, yeah. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Rootbound. That was really fun talking about trees with you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's great to be alive beneath the live oak tree When I'm with you and you're with me If you'll excuse a hokey joke beneath the oak It's okey doke and this, my dear, is also true It's great to be alone when I'm alone with you We climb our hill to the very top Where it's all so still that you can hear an acorn drop the whole day through we're on our own with only mother nature for a chaperone the birds supply the music and we have a ball and it's all for free when i'm with you and you're with me and we're beneath the What a wonderful conversation we see about the American basswood linden, a.k.a. ABL, and the live oak tree. Now, a number of episodes ago, I was talking about plants that have given names, like, you know, Bob. I mean, not Bob, but you you get it. And I was uh, listed a few plants that have names. But I had trouble finding a lot, and most of them were trees. But man, learning about the live oak society... I now have a list of tons of plants that have names because almost every tree in the list of 10,000 trees of the Live Oak Society have names. Now, we already mentioned the Seven Sisters Oak, which is the president of the Live Oak Society, but there are four vice presidents, and those are the Middleton Oak, the St. John Cathedral Oak, the Lagarde Oak, and the Martha Washington Live Oak. But I went through the list. I didn't think I went through all 10,000. I went through at least a few thousand. And I pulled out what are my top 10 names of members of the Live Oak Society. Uh, Remember, these are all trees. So starting with the Honey Oak, the Moonracker Oak, the Old Survivor, the Green Monster, the Fleur de Tree, Quercus Gymnasticus, Puddin's Dixie Blue, Big Ben Boudreaux, Sweet McGee, and finally my favorite name for a live oak tree that is a member of the Live Oak Society, Beauregard Muckenfuss. So anyway, that's uh, that's uh, the top 10 trees I found. There's probably more in there. I, I, like I said, I didn't go through the full list. And now, before we wrap up the show, I wanted to just share with you that poem by Walt Whitman that I mentioned earlier in Louisiana, I saw a live oak growing, and now after having listened to that poem, I understand why Dr. Edwin Lewis Stevens founded the Live Oak Society, because the poem, among its several themes, has to do with a lonely oak tree. And so this professor at the University of Louisiana decided he wanted to solve that by creating a club for the trees, which I thought was very cute. And so anyway, here is a reading of In Louisiana, I Saw a Live Oak Growing, read by the actor Alexander Scorby from a vintage LP I found on the internet. Uh, Enjoy 
that's our show. I saw in Louisiana a live oak growing. All alone stood it, and the moss hung down from the branches. Without any companion, it grew there, uttering joyous leaves of dark green. And its look, rude, unbending, lusty, made me think of myself. But I wondered how it could utter joyous leaves standing alone there without its friend near, for I knew I could not. And I broke off a twig with a certain number of leaves upon it and twined around it a little moss and brought it away, and I placed it in sight in my room. It is not needed to remind me as of my own dear friends, for I believe lately I think of little else than of them. Yet it remains to me a curious token it makes me think of manly love. For all that, and though the live oak glistens there in Louisiana solitary in a wide, flat space, uttering joyous leaves all its life without a friend, a lover near, I know very well I could not. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was C. Matias. C is an agricultural educator and farmer in the Catskills of New York. You can follow C on social media at CMOS with the O being a zero, and also their new farm project at Saravita Farm, which sounds super cool. I hope I can check it out someday. If you like Rootbound and you want to help support the show, visit rootboundpodcast.com slash support to find all the ways you can help the show, including supporting the show on Patreon. Rootbound is hosted by oblique podcaster Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside and you find yourself on an island, keep your eye out for examples of insular woodiness. Cattails, they're nature's corn dogs.